You're listening to the Psalms for Sojourners podcast, in which we look at the Psalms as prayers for God's people on every occasion. We hope it's a blessing to you. Hi there, and thanks for listening to another episode of Psalms for Sojourners. This is Cole Kirby, a pastor at Sojourn Montrose, and I'm generally the one hosting this podcast. And this week, I wanted to do something a little bit different, in in large part because over the past number of weeks, we've had longer form interviews and discussions that that have led to podcasts that have been um, between 30 minutes and an hour long. And I wanted to do something a little shorter this week, um, something that you could definitely find helpful and encouraging. Um, and, and that's just look at a psalm uh, that we are praying through this week at Sojourn Montrose, and, and a psalm that, that moved me particularly and, and led me to, to consider some things and, and, and to meditate on it in such a way that, that I just wanted to share that with you. And so I'm going to read the psalm, and it's Psalm 98, and so if you have your Bible or you want to pause it and get your Bible and read along, uh, feel free to do that. I'm going to read the psalm. And then just kind of walk through and, and make some observations of it just f- from just looking at the text and, and unpacking the psalm a little bit. And then um, do a little bit of just reflection on the psalm and, and then leave you with an encouragement and a challenge um, because I think that, that it's what it, – these are an encouragement that I found from the psalm and a challenge – uh, that the Psalms seemed to give to me, that the Lord gave to me this morning as I prayed through it. And so it's Psalm 98. So hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 98. A Psalm. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the word of the Lord. So Psalm 98 is is a psalm that really inspired um, the, the writing of the the famous Christmas song, Joy to the World. Um, and that's appropriate because in many ways, this psalm is looking forward to and even prophesying about the things that will come through the person and work of Jesus and even things to which we as Christians have yet to see in the fulfillment of his kingdom being established. And and so it's a, a beautiful psalm. It's a prophetic psalm. And it's in a series of psalms beginning in 95 through Psalm 100 that are really reflecting on the kingship of God, uh, on the the reigning power of God. And, and they're almost all 
consumed with this call to worship, this call to sing songs of praise to God because he reigns. Um, and, and it begins in verse one, calling us to sing a new song. And the new song is something that we'll see all throughout the Psalms. And, and it's a theme in the Bible, the call for the Lord's people to sing a new song in light of what God has done. And it's beautiful because it finds its fulfillment in Revelation chapter 5 when John, the revelator, is, is telling us of this vision that he sees in the throne room of heaven where there's this great panic among the heavenly beings because there is this scroll that has seals on it, seven seals, and, and there's no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth who's worthy to open the scroll. And the scroll is symbolic for the full revelation of God's kingdom, the fullness of God's glory being given to the world, the fullness of God's judgment and his law being expressed in the world. And, and no one is found worthy. And so even John says that as he sees this in heaven, he begins to weep loudly and, and to cry out. And then a, a voice calls out and, and says, it says, there is one who is found worthy to open the scroll, and it's the Lamb. And it's the Lamb, which is the Lord Jesus. And he is found worthy to open the scroll and, and thus to bring about the fulfillment of God's glory in all of creation and finish the history of God's redemption through his work. And so Jesus opens this scroll, and the response is that the heavenly beings— the, the four living creatures and the 24 elders begin to sing a new song. And, and so this call here to sing a new song, in light of that, is pointing us toward this beauty. It says, for he has done marvelous things. He's done marvelous things in that God has given us his son who has revealed the fullness of God's glory and beauty and salvation and redemption to the world. And so we will join with the heavenly beings in singing this new song. It says that his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. And this is really a beautiful thing that like the, the right hand and the holy arm on the face, the right hand is generally dominant for most people. And so it, on the face value, there's this, this imagery of God using his strength to work salvation. But what we know in as Christians who have been revealed the person of Jesus, had the person of Jesus revealed to us, is that Jesus is the right hand of God. He is sitting at the right hand of God, and it is Jesus who has worked salvation for God, the Father, and the Spirit, that it's Christ who has worked this salvation. It goes on to say, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. And this is really a, a cool idea, this idea that God has revealed his righteousness in, in the sight of the nations, that his salvation is not hidden, but it's known. And, and this is something that the author at the time, living in a time before the incarnation of Jesus, 
he would have seen shadows of, of, of God making known his salvation. He would have heard stories of God redeeming his people out of slavery in Egypt and, and giving them the promised land. He would have known about uh, Joshua's conquest over foreign enemies and, and God granting salvation and, and victory over foreign enemies with larger, more powerful armies and revealing his righteousness in the sight of the nations this happens as God is establishing this kingdom. He's having victory over foreign nations. He's freeing his people from Egypt such that the nations surrounding Israel begin to know that that the Lord, the God of Israel, is righteous. But it's only a shadow of what this verse is ultimately talking about. And what it's ultimately talking about is is that God has made his salvation known through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and he's revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations as God's church is going forth and proclaiming the salvation in Jesus to the nations. Verse 3 says, He has remembered his steadfast love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. This is prophesying of the great commission being fulfilled. That glorious day when truly every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that the Lord our God is king of all, that Jesus reigns as king. And once again, this is something that the author would have only seen shadows of. And then in verses 4 through 6, we have this repetitive call to worship, to make a joyful noise, to do it with song and with instruments and with dancing. And, and there's this call to musical praise. And it's because in light of verses one through three, in light of the salvation God has granted, there's only one appropriate response for God's people and really all people in all places when they hear of God's salvation and it's to respond with joy and with praise. And, and this imagery is, is helpful or really this, this logical progression is helpful because there's things in life that we experience that, that cause us so much joy that we can't help but begin to laugh or to sing or to clap or to dance. This is why weddings are followed by a reception that involves music and dancing because it's such a joyous occasion that how could we not celebrate? It's why when your favorite college football team scores a touchdown in a time that's not COVID, the band begins to play a song because they have they have scored, and so this leads to such elation in the crowd that how could we not sing a song together? And what the psalmist is saying is that the work of the Lord is, is even more glorious than those things, far more glorious, and all that we should do is make joyful noise to the Lord, that we should sing praises to Him, that we should celebrate this with song and music. And then he goes on in verses 7 and 8, and he calls all of creation to this sort of worship. The sea should roar and all that fills it, meaning all of the, the swimming fish and, and, and all the beings living in the sea, the world and all those who dwell in it. So the animal kingdom and the human kingdom alike called to worship. The rivers are called to clap their hands and the hills to sing for joy together. And, and these are images that we'll see in prophetic literature in the Hebrew Bible pointing toward all of creation celebrating at the salvation of God, at, at the revealing of the King of God. And, 
in Romans chapter eight, Paul talks about how all of creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God, meaning all of creation, all of the animals and plants and and even geographical or top, topographical structures, they are groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. They're groaning for the fullness of God's kingdom to come as all of the ransomed church of God is saved to sin no more as we sing in that beautiful hymn. And, and this is the call to worship following that. Now that all the nations know, now that all the nations have known and seen the salvation of God, not only should God's people rejoice in song, but all of creation will rejoice in song. Before who? Before the Lord who comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteous and the peoples with equity. At the end of this psalm and at the end of all things, what will happen is that our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, will return, and he will do so to judge the earth. And he will do that with righteousness and with equity. And, and I think we often think of the judgment of God as, as something that we should be deeply afraid of, some terrible occasion. And, and it is true that for those who have remained enemies of God, for those who do not turn to Jesus for salvation, who do not see the salvation that God's provided in Jesus as enough for them, as sufficient for them, it will be a terrible day. But for the whole of creation and for those who do profess faith in Christ, it will be a joyous occasion. It will be a time in which we sing and, and make melody and, and play instruments. It will be a time in which the rivers clap their hands and the hills sing for joy. And it's not just because our God will come to judge and he's our God, so he's on our side, but it's that he will come to judge with righteousness and he will judge the peoples with equity. This is good news, I think, particularly in a time like this when we see in our world unrighteousness abounding all around us and inequity abounding all around us to know that, that one day there will be real justice, God's justice, not other counterfeit versions of justice that we often find ourselves too easily satisfied with, whether it's financial or social or any other sort of justice. God's justice will come and it will be righteous and it will be equitable, and it will be good for all of creation. And that's good news. And, and so that's, that's the psalm. And, it, and what it's doing is it's telling us of what God has done and what he will complete in the person of Jesus. And, and that is that there is salvation for all of creation. And it's on the basis of Christ's righteousness and it as, is a result of the outpouring of God's steadfast love. The psalm is saying God has steadfast love for his people and for his creation. And so he will let his righteousness do the work of redeeming all of it, making all of it new, such that the people sing with joy and the rivers clap their hands and the mountains worship. And, and, and so our response to this sort of love, our response to God's salvation, according to this psalm and really the rest of the scriptures, is that we should worship. We should sing and dance and clap and play instruments and be full of rejoicing. It's joyful noise. Joyful noise. And the reason I wanted to talk about this psalm is because 
man, these are things I forget all the time. I fail to dwell on the steadfast love of the Lord. I fail to to sit and meditate on the beauty of his redemption, on the, on the faithfulness of him to use his righteousness and his own son to redeem me and my brothers and sisters and all of creation. And I'm wondering how often that's true for you. How often do you forget to consider God's steadfast love for you and for his people? How often does the reality of God's love for us fail to lead you to singing and to joyfulness. Cause I know for me that's that it's all too often that, that even if I do dwell on God's love for a moment, even if I consider the reality of his love, it's embarrassing how rarely that leads me to sing, how rarely it leads me to make a joyful noise to the Lord and I was encouraged this morning, and I want to share this encouragement with you. I was encouraged reading this psalm by the words, He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. And as Christians, um, when we see the scriptures talking about Israel in the Old Testament. Israel are God's people, and the church is the true Israel in a world post the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. We are Israel. And so God has remembered his steadfast love and his faithfulness to his people, to his church. And, and this was encouraging to me that, that the Lord remembers at every moment his steadfast love for me. Like because I'm a Christian, because I've put my hope in Christ, because I'm not relying on my own righteousness, what I can provide, any amount of good that I can do, but because I, I plead the blood of Christ, God remembers his love for me at every moment. And he remembers it for me in a way that's not dependent on how obedient I've been, how pure my thoughts have been or how much I've sp spent my time worshiping or praying or reading his word or evangelizing his message to those around me, that, that none of that plays any role into how God remembers his love and faithfulness to me. He does it at every moment. And Romans 8, I'll go back there, tells us that, that Christ is at the right hand of the Father pleading to God at every moment that he remembers his love and his faithfulness to me. And that's deeply encouraging. It's deeply encouraging in a time when, when I often find myself filling my mind with, with things that are not the goodness of the Lord, whether it is simple distractions or even sinful thoughts. Even in those moments, the Lord remembers his love for me. And that, that is so good that it should lead me to be singing. It's so good that it should lead me to rejoice and to make a joyful noise. Not, not feel bad about the fact that I haven't been doing that in the past. But to just make a joyful noise to the Lord because he remembers his love and his faithfulness to me. And he does it when I'm happy and he does it when I'm sad. He does it when I'm obedient and he does it when I'm disobedient. He does it when I'm anxious and he does it when I'm 
confident and trusting in him. He does it when the circumstances of my life are leading me to experience suffering, and he does it in times of plenty. The Lord never stops remembering his love for me. And if you're a Christian, he never stops remembering his love for you. Even at this very moment, he is remembering his love and his faithfulness to you. He's singing songs of praise over you as a father who loves you deeply. And your brother Jesus is encouraging him all the way to continue doing it. He's reminding him of his nail-pierced hands that, that poured out blood that plead a good word for you so that the God of the universe will remember his love for you at all times. And so I hope that's encouraging to you. And so here's the challenge, the challenge that I felt and, and the challenge that I've already hinted at. And it, it's that, that we, as God's people might meditate on God's love for us, meditate on his forgiveness toward us and the new life that he's given us, meaning like that we would actually spend some time thinking just about how much God loves us, that we'd spend some time thinking just about all of the ways in which we were desperate for God's forgiveness and that he has forgiven us every step of the way, regardless of how heinous we have rebelled against him, regardless of how insignificant our lives seem to us, that God has loved us in that, that he's forgiven us, that he's given us new life through the resurrection of his son, that we would meditate on it and like truly meditate on it, like truly think about the reality that God has has raised us from the dead, that he has given us new life, that he's given us new purpose in his kingdom. And my challenge for you and my challenge for me is that we would meditate on that and try to recognize that and see if, it can, if we can keep ourselves from singing. There's a, a beautiful song that the refrain is, how can I keep from singing? And it's that same idea that the Lord loves me so much that how can I keep from singing? The Lord loves me so much. He has gone to such great lengths so that I might be his son and so that you might be his son or daughter that how can we keep from singing? I pray that if you are a Christian listening to the podcast, that the Lord would fill you with so much joy, so much gratefulness, and so much understanding of the salvation he's provided, that you would be overflowing with joyfulness at all times, even in suffering, and that you would sing to the Lord a new song because there is one worthy to reveal the fullness of God's glory to the world, and you know his name. Hope you have a good week. Thanks for listening.